you enjoyed the channel and our video content and would like to support us, you can do this in a couple of ways. You can sign up to our Patreon site which is a monthly subscription to one of our four tiers, each giving you something different from early access interviews up to exclusive unseen footage. There's also the option of a one-off donation via PayPal which allows you the option to donate an amount of your choice. Both options really help to keep this channel going and to continue putting out regular content for you good folk. So please take a look at aircrewinterview.tv forward slash donate and I thank you in advance. Thank you and enjoy. And you kind of mentioned it before, but um, Bob, do you have any memorable stories from your time flying the C9? Yeah, you know, the C9, it was it was never the same thing twice. It was I was always different every day, which was great. Kept it interesting. Uh, I do remember one of the things I remember um, really a lot was that that urgent we did up to North Dakota for the people that had the stove blow up yeah. on them because they were very injured and uh, we were very concerned about them. And it was, uh, that was, that was one of the things we also went down to Mexico once. Um, it was not a military member or dependent. And I don't know how we got involved with this. It was obviously done through diplomatic channels, but we did, we went down to Mexico I think we flew into Monterey or Guadalajara. I can't remember where, but we flew into a civil field down there to pick up a another burn victim. Uh, this one uh, was a bad situation. Uh, a younger gentleman had uh, decided to uh, to commit suicide by pouring gasoline on himself and igniting it, like the monk did over in Vietnam in the '60s. And he was unsuccessful in his endeavor. And of course, burns are really horrific. So we went down to Mexico and picked him up and um, he was in a very bad way. Um, we had doctors with us as well. This was of course in the middle of the night, everything happens in the middle of the night in the C9. Took him up to Kelly, which is in San Antonio and um, flew as fast as we could. Uh, there were really no customs things to deal with. They got all that pre-cleared up, so that was great. Um, took him uh, as, just as fast as we could, and we just felt horrible about the situation. Uh, he did not make it, sadly, but mm -hmm. we, we flew as fast as we could and to get him there. And that was just heartbreaking because everybody had done mm -hmm. everything they could, but when the doctor comes up and says, yeah, you can slow down now, it's it's just a terrible feeling. So I, I remember that we did have a lot of um, premature labors and that was always a, a very urgent situation where not every military installation has a hospital. A lot of them just have a small clinic, which is, you know, maybe one doctor or even a nurse. And um, when a military spouse or military member would, would have go into premature labor, we'd pick them up a lot. And, um, it, that then it was on and it was like we needed to get there quick because there's a woman in labor i did have a couple of babies born on my airplane it was oh wow it was amazing i mean it was just it was so great i i mean i i really wanted to get them to the hospital on time but of every airplane to have it you know the airplane had had vacuum lines had oxygen lines it was fully plumbed it was originally designed such that there was um an area in the front that they could do surgery in. Now, I've never seen that. 
but um you know you can definitely deliver a baby there i know that for a fact <laughs> so um you know that was always great i'm glad i'm grateful that the two times that happened to me the babies were early but perfectly healthy they made it got the mom and the baby to the hospital it was, oh, yeah. it was wonderful that was uh, that's the reason i wanted to go to the c9 it's like a lot of real operational okay. flying and it was just great to help these people out and, and i know they'll never forget it and the babies will always hear about it for the rest of their lives too i'm sure they're <laughs> 30 years old now but uh, i mean it was it was a very rewarding thing um not a lot broke on the airplane uh i never really had any problems on the c9 mechanically um okay did have uh you know when we i talked about the eight legs a day that would have a lot of times end up being very short legs uh, and sometimes you'd end up diverting um, because you just couldn't get in a place. And um, I do recall once we were doing a, a flight up in the Northeastern U S which there's a lot of airports really close to each other up there. And uh, we had quite a bit of fuel on board when we started, we went into Charleston, West Virginia and we did an approach, didn't, couldn't see it, went around, tried it again, couldn't see it. So we diverted to our next airport, um, which I want to say was Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'm not positive of that. I can't even remember. Went there, which is not that far away. Weather was bad, did an approach, couldn't get in. Didn't, we did one more approach. I, I, won't, I won't hang around for more than two. Uh, couldn't get in and then diverted to Andrews, which is um, up there by Washington, D.C. And by now, fuel is a problem it's the winter it's snowing like crazy go to andrews and um we ended up doing a we were one of the few airplanes that could do category two approaches at the time down to quarter mile half uh quarter mile or 1200 or vr and um did a cat two barely saw the runway landed stopped and uh, put the brakes on the airplane and it just kept sliding and i was mm. glad that andrews has like eleven thousand feet of runway because we turned off at the very end uh we had gotten runway reports of uh well they measured it a different way but basically fair breaking and we were certainly good for that but as it turned out it was pretty much an ice rink so we taxied back very slowly with not a whole lot of gas in the airplane Wow. That was one of the more nail-biting moments, and it's it affected me positively um, since after that I've been much more cautious about fuel planning. Even though the fuel plan was good when we started, <laughs> probably I should have diverted to Andrews earlier in retrospect. So it was a, it was a learning experience. The other guy that I was with now flies for uh, another airline, and we we both are pretty conservative in our fuel planning and not hesitant to ask for more gas if we need it. So that was a that was a good thing. But we, you'd see occasionally things like that. The shortest leg I ever did was we went from McDill Air Force Base to Tampa International. And if you don't know where that is, it's right across the bay. It's like about a 10-mile direct flight. We didn't even get the airplane completely deconfigured. We just got the gear up and then put the everything. We had to brief everything on the ground. It was a general's wife was going for a consultation. So mm. whatever the case may be, that was the shortest flight I've ever done in an airliner. Um, but yeah, uh, from people familiar with the Tampa area will think that's a ridiculous flight. And it, and it was actually. Um, but yeah, it was. we had a great time. It was, it was awesome. So how would you sum up the C9 and did you enjoy your time on it? Oh, I love the C9. Yeah. 
C9, it was my first airliner type. I mean, I, I've gone on since I went to the airlines to fly uh, a lot more hours in the basic type. The MD-80 is a DC-9-80, so it's the same type rating in the U.S. Um, I, I've gone on to fly a lot more. I like the airplane. I, you know, the, on, the only thing I'll say negative about the airplane is, and it's been like this since the first one was built to the last one was built, was you don't want to be the, in that airplane when you de-ice because the window by the cockpit, the wind, cockpit windows, they leak really bad and they'll let oh. the icing fluid into the cockpit. So you'll need to have a bunch of napkins or paper towels up there with you because it's just going to come right in the bottom corner of the window. Other than that, that's really all I can say negatively about the airplane. I flew it a lot. I, I, you know, I flew 3,100 hours in the C-9 in the Air Force before I got out. I flew about another... 8,000-ish in the MD-80 series. Wow. So what is that, 11,000-some-odd 11, hours in, this, in the general airplane type? Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a great airplane. I mean, it's mostly gone now, but uh, it, it was built, built to last. It's, there's still yeah. a few DC-9s flying, flying around in cargo outfits in the U.S. still. It's just crazy to see one, but there's a few out there. So that's, I mean, Douglas built them tough they were tough airplanes loved the airplane the air force kept them in great shape they they were in you know in the civilian world we'll put we'll, we'll use the minimum equipment list and, and placard stuff in operative per the procedures pretty often to keep the flight moving and the air force i think maybe in that 3100 hours maybe five times i saw something in operative it, oh, wow. i mean it just it okay. was just I never once flew the airplane with an inoperative APU, uh, which is a big deal. I never, I never flew it with an inoperative autopilot. It, it just everything worked on the airplane. The Air Force was great about keeping them up. Uh, people were awesome. Um, you know, I, I just, I really enjoyed my my time on the airplane. Uh, if you know, they're all retired now, but uh, they were. They are a great bargain. The Air Force got their money worth out of them. They're they're an outstanding aircraft. I just have nothing nothing bad to say about it. Brilliant stuff there, Bob. Um, so, what was it like for you uh, transitioning to you know military to you know the airline world? Was it a, a difficult transition for you? It it wasn't because I think partially because I'd wanted to be an airline guy since I was younger, and I'd I'd already read a lot and studied a lot and. Um, I, the Air Force, in their wisdom, decreed, well, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, one, one wing commander gets it, so another one wants it. There were three VIP C-9s up at Andrews, and they flew the, the vice president around. Oh, wow. And I never, I never did that, but that was their big job, is they flew Air Force Two most places at the time. And uh, I got to go on one of them once. It was a very nice airplane. I never flew one. But... Um, so the guys up at Andrews that were flying the VIP airplanes, they all, when they went to the simulator, their wing commander proudly wanted them to all get ATP, Airline Transport Pilot License, with DC-9 type ratings, even though we were not required as Air Force pilots to have a civilian license of any sort. Um, they wanted all their guys to have that, and they were proudly saying, yep, all our guys, they're current and qualified, and they all have ATPs with DC-9 type ratings. And so our commander then decided, well, if they can do it, we can do it. So when you upgraded to instructor, if you were willing to go take the ATP exam, you had to have 1,500 hours of time. So as soon as I 
upgraded and had 1500 hours i went and took the written next time you went to the sim they'd have the faa come along give you your oral exam they'd give you your sim check and at the time we had to go fly the airplane uh to get the rating and they'd fly a trainer up from scott and we'd go do you know three touch and goes in the airplane with the faa on board and we'd get a brand new atp certificate with dc9 type rating well that is exactly what the airlines are looking for when they hire is that that license so the you know i always thought it was kind of curious that the air force was giving you the keys to get out really <laughs> and I, I didn't think that was wise but hey if they're going to give it to me it's i'll do it so when I transitioned, I separated, well, after Desert Storm, I'll go back. After Desert Storm, they had a big wind down in the number of pilot slots, and they grounded a lot of airplanes, did a lot of base consolidation. They had too many pilots. And this is the story of the Air Force. They either have too few pilots, and they're getting bonuses, or they have too many pilots, and they're getting, getting rid of people. So they had too many people after Desert Storm, and they came down with a thing that says, if you've been flying for a total of four years and you want out, um, we'll, we'll let you out free. We'll, we, you'll waive the rest of your active duty service commitment. You can get out, you can leave. And um, I thought about this and I was ready. I, I had my 3,000-ish hours in the nine at the time and my ATP all done. And I was flying a ton and so I knew I was pretty desirable. So I was the second guy up that was eligible to get out and the first guy up um came up for an assignment and he said and they said to him well we want you to go be i don't i don't remember what it was like in the command post in some outlying station he didn't want to do that well in the airport you could turn down the first assignment but whatever they gave you the second one that was yours and so they were trying to send a signal they made him i believe it was the commissary inventory officer in interlick turkey and then he decided to get out and i was the next guy up because all of us wanted to keep flying, you know, and I was like, well, they're clearly trying to give us non-flying jobs to make us get out. <laughs> so I put in my papers and got out and they let you say, when did you want to get out? And I said, well, I'd like to get out in six months. And they didn't have to honor that. So they gave me a separation date in six weeks. So frantically, I started sending out applications. Um, I got called for interviews right away, got hired right away. So I had basically two weeks of unemployment after I got out of the Air Force, went to training. I initially was a 727 flight engineer, which was a great gig if you were transitioning from the military to the civilian world because you mm -hmm. didn't actually have to fly the airplane and you could sit back and watch the two guys that had been there a while do their stuff and you'd learn how the airline stuff works. So it was that was good. Um, and I did that for a year and a half and then got furloughed for almost four years, uh, went and worked in the training environment. Um, on a couple of different programs during my furlough and then came back in 96, I guess. And uh, I've been flying ever since, flying and constantly ever since. And uh, it, it's, it's been, it was a very easy transition because I was flying an airline type, albeit with different procedures. It was a matter of learning the airline's procedures and how they do it. But it was, it was a very easy transition. I think it was much easier than a guy coming out of the single seat world is a lot, it's a lot more of a challenge because they're not used to working with a crew. They're not used to working in an airplane this large. They don't know when to call different people, you know, like call ramp now. Well, I don't know what ramp is. You know, they, they just don't know. Um, I did a lot later on of, of training those guys as a line check airman and as a check airman and uh, instructor. And um, the guys that came out of the single seat world 
they had great hands. They all flew outstandingly. They, they were sharp, smart, great guys, but they had a little more difficulty adjusting to the, um, just the big airplane and airline environment because they'd just never done it before. Whereas guys that came out of the commuter world, they were flying a bigger airplane with a different company with different procedures, but they knew how the whole airline thing worked. Like, when do I call who, who how, how do I, you know, what do I do now in the flight? So I was I was pretty lucky in that I kind of had that idea from the C9 yeah. world. I'd flown into a lot of the big civil fields already and kind of knew how LAX worked and Philadelphia worked and Atlanta worked and all these other things. So it was that was pretty easy, actually. So, Bob, I've got some personal questions for you here. Um, favorite aircraft you have flown? Favorite aircraft I've flown? Uh, L-1011. Easy, hands down. Wow. No, no, no question. Best airplane I've ever touched. It was a great machine. I got it right at the end of it. Amazing airplane. So yeah, no, no question. One you would like to fly, either past or present? Uh, easy, F one hundred five. No question. F one hundred five. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I would love to have some F one hundred five time in my logbook. Yes, no question. And uh, where can we find you online? Because I know you have a book called Plane Crash. Maybe not the best title, but uh, <laughs> well, where can you know, we find that online? You the, you, it's funny you mentioned the title. Um, yeah, I, I, there is a book called Plane Crash. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it on the Johns Hopkins University Press website as well. It's normally cheaper on Amazon, either uh, Amazon.co.uk for you or Amazon.com in the U.S. Um, I met a mechanical engineering professor who had written another book about airplane accidents, and they wanted him to write a second book, but they wanted some first-person insight into the way the pilots interacted in these accident chains. So I, I was a co-author with a, a guy named Dr. George Bible of this book, and um, it you know was got chapters in there kind of organized by phase of flight where, you know, there's one pre-flight ops, you know, takeoff, uh, climb out, you know, cruise in route phase, um, approach and landing, you know, there's, there's, there's different scenarios in there that we talk about. He's an engineer. I'm a pilot. So we had to overcome a little bit of, um, a little <laughs> yeah, bit of, imagine. Uh, yeah, common ground sometimes was difficult. Um, he did not really enjoy the mechanics of writing. My dad was an English professor. I like writing. I like reading. So I became kind of the uh, wordsmith of the two of us. Um, the book sold very well for a nonfiction book. It's still in print. Um, we did not choose the title of the book. Um, <laughs> turns out when these big presses now put a title on your book, they do it based on, to a degree, um, how search terms are going to be finding the book on mm -hmm. online. So they knew that if you were looking for a book on plane crashes on Amazon, the title plane crash would be uh, the, the big hit. I wanted mistakes on a plane because I thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, because at the time yeah. that mistakes on a plane had just come out with Samuel Jackson. But um, they didn't go for that. But uh, the, uh, the book is available, uh, and you can get me. I don't have big so – my, my wife and I kind of cut the, cut the, tour, cut the lines with social media because we just – it was taking way too much of our time. But I do have a Gmail. It's Robert I. Hedges, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, and uh, if you 
email me there. I'll get back to you. I'm out flying. Right now we're flying like crazy because it's the summer and we're still undermanned after COVID. So we're still flying a, a crazy amount. So uh, if, if I don't get back to you right away, I will get back to you eventually. But that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Great stuff. And we'll link everything in uh, what Bob said in the description. But can we see a, a book in the future, Bob? You know, um, George w wants to do another book. Johns Hopkins wants another book. I'm not sure my marriage would survive another book. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was four four years. I admire these guys. Like I just got the Tug Wilson books in the in the in the mail. Uh, ordered them from. And he was one of my favorite interviews, by the way, on Aircrew Interview. Yeah. Um, totally, totally. Some just what a great guy. Uh, but I just got his books and the fact that he's got two out and he's writing the tornado pilot, which I can't wait to read as well. I don't know how these guys do it. It was uh, four years of research and, and basically all of my waking non-flying hours spent on that book. So I would like to write another book at some point. I don't know that it will be a, a co-written co with anyone, but yeah, at, at some point I would expect you'll see something else. I don't know exactly what it'll be or when it'll be out, but uh, stay tuned. Yeah, watch your space, folks. But, uh, Bob, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, yeah, the C9, it's been brilliant. So, like, I've learned a lot along the way. So, Bob, thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. It's been a pleasure, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm really honored, given some of the guys you've had on this channel. It's just amazing. As, as historically, some of the people you've had on, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. So thanks for having me. Cheers.